This morning, our text uh, is from Psalm 30. Psalm 30. Uh, as we begin, last week was the introduction to the book of Psalm. Uh, this morning starts the series in a lot of ways uh, in the Psalms. This morning, Psalm 30 uh, says to us this, verses 1 through 12 specifically, we'll look at this morning. It says there, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. You have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall not be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for, uh, for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 30, let us pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning and I pray that you would help us to honor you this morning in your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we pray that your word would do for us and in us what we cannot do for ourselves, what no man's mouth can do. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to be with us. I pray that we would be attentive uh, to what is being said and spoken here this morning. Lord, may we not depart from it, not, it not depart from us. We love you. We thank you for it. Be with us now, I do pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, welcome, and we are glad that you are able to be with us this morning. I kind of wondered how many would be here because of the holidays, people out and about vacationing, and so this is a pretty good crowd. I'm actually excited to see those of you who are able to be here who are normally here. If you're a visitor with us, once again, we, we, we welcome you. We're so grateful that you are here with us this morning. I, I want to I say that this, this uh, sermon has no title, okay? I didn't, Kyle's being lazy. I didn't give it a title. It's true. I didn't give it a title. And uh, I would say that today's text, the sermon that we have before us, uh, will be a bit straightforward. Today, let me see if this thing on. There you go. It just turns sometimes. Today, if y'all didn't already know this, y'all may not know this or not, today's July 3rd, okay? July 3rd, which is the day before Independence Day, right? And so some of you, some of you are going, hey, Pastor Kyle, you have a flag on the, the, the stage. Did you realize that? I said, yeah, I did. It's a prop. So this morning, let me tell you something. All right, let me just say something very kindly and gently, and I want everyone to listen and give me a chance to finish out this sermon to the end, okay? There is nothing controversial about what I'm about to preach, nothing. Biblically speaking, in the nation of Israel, 
in the Old Testament or the New Testament or the time of the apostolic age. There's nothing controversial about anything I'm going to say if you're a believer of Christ Jesus. And yet, I hope I don't offend anyone. I'm a man. I'm a human. I want you to like me, okay? But God's word is true, and it is a guiding light to us. And so this morning, what I'm going to try to do is help us to understand a couple things in light of us being believers in this world. See, many of us will be celebrating Independence Day tomorrow together. And to that I say, amen, amen, amen. How many of you will have watermelon? I will. Fireworks blowing up. Look, look, you know, I love stuff blowing up. That's one of my favorite things on earth. Watermelon blowing up, you know what I'm saying? Being with my family. But listen, I would say, I was telling um, uh, Ed beforehand, you know, out of all the things that we can do as American Americans, and I would say specifically as American believers, is to do what we're doing this morning. Because this is the reason why. You remember, I don't know, I'm going to give you a brief history lesson. Why did America, how was it founded by a group of people who left a place called where? You can say it. Say Europe. We beat you, all right? Just take it. We beat you. But why did we leave in the first place? Persecution. What type of persecution? Religious persecution. This flag that's on this this stage today, it represents so much. I swore an oath to defend that flag as a a veteran myself, and I would do it all over again. I'd go overseas again for that flag because I love what that flag stands for. I'm a proud American. You can say amen to that. Amen, I am. I think this is one of the greatest nations that have ever been demised on the face of the planet. And yet, I want to say something really quickly. Even more than flags and fireworks and all the things that we're going to do, I believe that men and women who profess to be Christians specifically, the greatest thing that we can do to commemorate and remember what this nation stands for is to find our nose in this book. For this book is why we came here. This is why, this is one of the purposes for which men bled and died on battlefields all across American history for the right for us to be here this morning opening this word. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to honor those fallen men by opening God's word and letting it speak to us instead of us telling it what it's going to say to us. We're going to let God speak to us through it. This psalm, I believe that you need to know something right now, that all the things that are going to happen today and tomorrow are fun and they are appropriate. Let's do them. Sacrifice and deliverance. We see freedom from earthly oppression and powers that are represented in our Independence Day. However, while such is true, and at our current, it's currently at the forefront of our minds, there is still yet a greater truth to be had this morning, church. One at which our earthly Independence Day, our freedom and oppression is but a picture and of a celebration our celebration merely a foreshadowing of things that are to come for the believer of Christ Jesus. Everything that we're about to celebrate now and in tomorrow and on, it literally should, listen to me, I believe this, let's redeem that which God has given as a blessing to point back to him. Could everything that we have as a nation truly be something that we can point people back to the gospel over? And my answer to that is yes. Yes, even, even, even Independence Day is a day in which points back to Jesus. I really believe that. 
So I want you to understand there's two things that we're going to look at this morning. All right? Two. I don't have them up here like points, but you can have them if you're taking notes. Number one is this. The gospel is the fuel of our praise. It's the fuel of our praise. Number two, God's discipline is fuel for our praise. Number one, the gospel is the fuel of our praise. Number two, God's discipline is fuel for our praise. So this morning, really quickly and first, let's look at number one. The gospel is the fuel of our praise. I told you we'll jump right into this this morning. Look with me in verse one. And verse one says there from our text, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. The word extol here in verse 1, that means to raise up or to put on high. It's to, it's to, it's to, it's to put something uh, where it's mundane, maybe it's on the, wherever it's not able to be seen very well because of where its lowliness is. It's to pick something up. It's to put it at least at eye level, but it's more than that. It's to put it higher than everything else at eye level so that everyone can see it. Here, the psalmist says, David says, I will extol you, O Lord. I will put you, you God, above every single thing that I could possibly put higher. There is no such thing. I extol you, O Lord. And look what it says next. For you have drawn me up. I want to stop real quick because I want you to see something that's going on here in the text. Extol means to place in high regard. It means to lift up from a place of common to a place of high honor. This word draw, or this conjunction of words, to draw me up, it also means to lift or to raise. It means to raise up, except it's a little different. Extol means to take something where it is and establish it up high. But what is going on with draw me up? Paul, David says, for you have drawn me up. It's what I want you to know. It's kind of like when you throw a net and you go to fish, and you pull in, it's a drag net, you're bringing in the net with all its fish. A better picture probably be this. It'd be like somebody falling into a well, hitting rock bottom, help me, help me, I'm down here. Someone throwing a rope, and the idea is someone from up top is literally taking the rope and pulling that individual up out of the well. This means to draw me up. David says, I will extol you, O God, because you have drawn me up from a place of low regard. I will lift you high because you have taken me from my loneliness and brought me some place. This was what makes the song that we just sang, it's all because of Christ, so correct. Theologically true. It is correct to say, church, Lord, I will love you or I will exalt you because you first loved or exalted me. Time out. Uh, you need to do that even if he doesn't exalt you because he's God, all right? So I'm gonna just say it first. So some, Brandon, I knew you would write that in. I'm gonna get him later on that one. You, we love God because he's lovable. We love God because he is love. He's deserving of it. But let's not be coy here. None of us would truly love God in the way that we must love him if he had not first loved us. If God had not reached down first. Yes, no one can truly love God if it has not been for his first loving us. We would all be rebels, enemies, bent on self and our own glory, 
If it had not been for the God loving us first and sending of his son Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit, and his word in opening the eyes of the blind man, the dead man, the lost man, the enemy, all of us in this room. Psalm 40, 2 through 3 states this. It's interesting because from Psalm 40, we'll, we'll preach on this text later in the series, but I, I couldn't help but steal it real quick because of something it starts off with there in verse 2. Psalm 40, 2 through 3 says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. The psalmist says the new song is the song of worship and adoration. It is a song in response to a God who has been good to me. He says, the old song, the song of self, the song of my my own glory, my own this, uh, the, the, the drum I used to beat for me, he says, it has been replaced. I sing a new song, and that new song is able to be sung because God has drawn us up from a place of destruction. The psalmist here, Psalm 30, he again in Psalm 40 states the reality of this truth for David. One way to know if someone has truly been lifted up in Christ, redeemed and or saved, is if there is a new song, a song of joy and celebration for God's glory upon their lips. Upon their lips. It's characteristic. We all, we all walk at different speeds, brothers and sisters. We all mature quicker than others. So don't use that as the measuring or barometer of who loves God and who doesn't. Don't go, oh, I do it a whole lot more than this person, so therefore, da-da-da-da-da, and equate whatever. Don't do that, church. Please don't do that. Just continue to mimic yourself after Jesus Christ, and you always need to continue to grow. Amen? Just continue to seek after him. But... There has to be in the life of a believer who says, I have a new relationship with Jesus to be able to sing a song that says something of their new relationship with sin. The old song characteristic goes and the new song will be sung. It must. And he says, I extol you. I raise you up and put you on high, oh God, because you have drawn me up and you have not let my foes. Let's look at the next, what it says there. You have not let my foes rejoice over me. For David, at the time of this writing, of this psalm, his enemies had been great. They have sought to kill him, his own son. Absalom turns his back on his father and tries to rip his kingdom out of his hands. Everywhere you see David just kind of, I say this about David, and you see other places in Psalms. I love the psalm so much. Like you get, you get like, out of the Psalms, you get David in his depression. Like, I call it rubbing walls. Like, <laughs> where he's just like, they're, they're trying to hurt me. People are trying to kill me. People are mean to me. God, they're so mean. And you see him feeling sorry for himself, and you're like, David, man. Girl, come on. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he's like me. And then you turn the page in this psalm, this other psalm, and it's like, and I have, the, I, have, I have energy upon energy, and I can run. You would think that he's like bipolar or manic depressant, right? But the truth is there's these things, these dichotomies of the human soul and the condition, and God is the creator of all those things. Emotions are good because God created them. They're, they're messed up because of something called the fall, sin. They destroyed them. So we're not afraid of them, but we must redeem them in the way that God has intended. 
David, even Absalom at this point though, all his enemies are dealt with, even Absalom, his wayward and evil son, was now dead and gone by the time of this psalm. However, for us who are in Christ this morning, while there may be found earthly examples and realities of this truth in life, meaning this side of heaven, there may be situations where we find enemies and oppressors coming against us and we win. Maybe something in the culture. Maybe someone who is seeking to hurt you with no, what we feel is like, with, with no merit. Maybe they, they, they seek to do you harm simply because you love Jesus Christ and his glory. Yes, this side of heaven, the psalmist states, God, you have, you have, you have, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. And while we will celebrate rightly this reality in our own history, tomorrow we'll do that, Independence Day, ultimately our greatest foe, listen to me, church, do not, as American Christians, forget this, ultimately our greatest foe was not someone across the pond, Our greatest enemy of all time will no longer rejoice over us. Sin, death, and hell will no longer celebrate in having us. Amen? We have been liberated. We have been set free. In Christ, sin, death, and hell is defeated. When I read Psalm 30, I can apply actual cultural phenomenon that helps me to see this speaks to me in my own day and age because of all the things that are going on around us. Have you watched the 6 o'clock news, church? And yet, and yet, I can read the psalm the same way those in Israel read it thousands of years ago, understanding this, that the greatest enemy, the tormentor of my soul, he will not win. Sin, death, and hell will not win. The king of England had nothing on Satan and his hold on me apart from Jesus Christ. And here is the great juxtaposition. You think of it and you see it from a worldly perspective and humanistically, and that's fine. I think it can be used for that. But do you use Psalm 30? Do you use the Psalms to help you, as we said last week, to see more of Jesus, see more of the gospel? For the Psalms are about God before they're about us. Whatever we declare as our earthly foe, whether it be personal or in relationships, or even from society as a whole, they will not have final victory. Of those who are in Christ, the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will and has won. I think of John 16, 33, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But in this world you have many trials and tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The trials and tribulations in our regard to us being believers in a fallen world. But take heart, Jesus says for I have overcome the world. Look with me in verse two. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. You were all once sick in our sins, all of us, and utterly hopeless and helpless for a cure. Yes, oh Lord, my God, I cried out for help and you have healed me. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ has healing property. However, in Christ, all we must do is cry out to him, and this is true, and he will and has healed us. He will heal us. Oftentimes, we look at this and we say, yes, but healed us from the thing down the street or the thing from next week, and all of those are are fine. Those are true, but have we rejoiced in the fact that we have been healed ultimately from sin's demise? Verse 3 
Here it is again. Oh, Lord, you have brought me up. You have brought me up. You, you've pulled me from, from my soul, my soul, not my, my, not my flesh. You have brought me up my soul from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Sheol in our text this morning simply means a place of the dead. It's the place of the departed. Brothers and sisters, make it even simpler for you. This isn't hell. This is, this is the grave. This is the grave. Oh, oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from the dead. Restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Restored me to life. In other words, you could say, you have placed my foot on paths of righteousness and not on the path that leads to destruction. We do not walk hand in hand with the dead. We do not in Christ walk hand in hand with the blind or those who are in captive. Our place is among the living. We walk and live with eyes wide open because of Jesus Christ. This is incredibly good news. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw the Supreme Court decision that came down in the aspect of Roe versus Wade in abortion. Um, I just got finished uh, celebrating, and by the way, I did celebrate. I celebrated uh, July 1st, because that means now Pride Month is over. And I'm, I, 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 listen, I'm sorry, but I'm like, I, I, listen, I don't care what it is. I hate being pushed with anything. And so I'm like, get out of my face at this point, right? Like, just done with it. I, I'm, I, I don't need to always celebrate all month long your sexual preference month, okay? That's what it is. What it is. I told you. Okay, I said enough. I believe that. But here's what I want you to understand. Some of you have been saddened. I've been talking to some of you about the way in which some people have been uh, seeing or, or responding to the news of specifically Roe versus Wade, for instance, in the country. Some Christians are frustrated or saddened by other believing Christians seeing this as a sad day in American history or this isn't something to be celebrated or to rejoice in which to me I would imagine and I do see is very sad for someone who believes that way believes in the cause of Christ and the glory of God that every human soul is, is, is made and, and, and for the glory of God and the image of God for any believer to, to declare that that's not good news is very troubling I, I, I agree Funny thing is, is that on both sides of this spectrum, spectrum, I can see others who believe as I believe and hold in my camp, who I don't honestly think always handle themselves very greatly or rightly in the culture either. There is a change in the air. And at present, that change is not positive in relation to the glory of God. I'm, I'm serious. I pray for it. I, I pray for revival. I want to see our, our country come and turn. It's, back, it's not, well, back on sin and it's eyes to Christ for sure. But it's not growing very positive in relation to the glory of God and the freedom or redemption that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. David here is stating in the psalm, God, thank you that you have delivered me from the way of the wicked. Thank you, God, that you have delivered my feet that was marching to the way of death, you've delivered my feet and you've placed it on the paths of righteousness. No longer walking the path of the wicked. Thank you that you do not walk 
that I do not walk in the way of the dead spiritually. Notice that in these last three verses that we just read, we do not see anything relating to a heart that says, I hope, I wish, or maybe you will, God. In the text before us, you see in these, three, these verses, we only see you have, you have, you have. David is quite sure that God had done great things for him in deliverance, and it leads him to pronounce what we see next in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Give thanks to his holy name. This is proper. This is a proper response for all that God has done for us. Joyous, affectionate, and zealous worship for all that God has done. Church, listen. The world around us can do many things. However, one thing that the world around us cannot do, and one thing that the oppressors of this world against our soul, against our witness, against our very flesh, if you, it could happen that way for us who are believers. The one thing... The world can do a lot of things, and Satan too can do a lot of things, but one thing that they cannot do is put Jesus Christ back in the grave. They cannot do it. They can try. The world around us will go to hell in a handbasket quick, and yet he wins. The redo button is already established. He will push it, and when he does, hopefully we are on the right side of that salvation. Our God wins. He is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. This is our God. Which is to say of us, it cannot ever in Jesus put us back, put us back to where we once were. The hope of Jesus Christ, we have no, have to worry about walking that place in that path of the dead any longer. Which should lead us this side of heaven to show forth a bold, listen to me, a bold, bold, Truth-filled, amen, amen, amen. Boldness and truth will often get you in trouble. Did you know that, church? Being bold, being committed to the truth, specifically in the sight of God's glory, it needs to be bold. It needs, we need truth-filled people. We need mouths to declare the truth. So I want you to hear me say something that I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, because I'm going to say something next, and everybody, well, our culture is one where we just pick sides. Listen, listen to it all. It may even get you in trouble. It may even elicit persecution from the world around you. It may even elicit persecution from your very own family members. Truth and boldness to the truth, God's word and his glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will cause problems in this world. Mark it down. Look at 11 of the 12 disciples and think to yourself, who do I want to be like? Look what truth got Jesus and where it put him on the cross. And Jesus Christ and the disciples before us are calling us into that same, that same mission. And that mission is to open our mouths to the truth. And yet, I need you to hear something. Please hear me. I say that. I, I say let's risk much. Let's dare greatly. Let's get in trouble for the glory of God and the truth. And yet, let us be humble. No hint of pride. No hint of arrogance. And in that, respond. In that, in that truth, in that humility, in that lack of pride as God's redeemed people. Why? Because we're redeemed. 
How many of you in this room can boast of anything that you've done in order to receive God's grace and mercy upon your life? How many of you can actually utter a thing and say, God saved me because of this, and it has something to do with you or your family or your pocketbook or your education on a wall? How many of us can declare the goodness of ourselves in deserving the goodness of our God? Not one of us. Speak truth. Be committed to get in trouble for the truth. And do it with a heart that proves to everyone else I've been touched by the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the gentleness of my God. And I offer the same to you. Truth and love. Yes, celebrate. Celebration is the glory of God and the joy of his people. In other words, we should worship and we should celebrate and let the world see us do it. But let them see us do it because of the greatness and goodness and the mercy of our God and not because we like just won the Super Bowl and got a, got a trophy. My team won, ha-ha, <laughs> losers. Christ wins. There's a place for you in it too. Be joy-filled. Celebrate. But in your celebration and your joy-filledness, help people understand that they can also be invited into the celebration of the redeemed if they are lost. Truthfully, I know individuals who've had abortions and some women who literally cry because of the decisions that they've made. I know men who regret the decisions that they've made. Church, in your Christianity, is there room for them? Is there room for those who are mourning decisions that they've made? They have repented of the things that they have done. Is there room for them? Or a continual understanding of a reason why they should continually feel shame? Church, wake up. Let us rejoice and let us celebrate and let us do so with kindness and gentleness, opening up our arms and saying, you can celebrate as well because of the cross of Jesus Christ. All our sins are washed white as snow. Amen? They are gone from us. There is a place. The church is a place for the redeemed people, not the clean, always people. We're redeemed. Let me just show you three passages of Scripture that I can't help. I have to say, God's Word says this, not Pastor Kyle. First Peter 3, 15 through 16, listen to this. This is a passage mostly connected with apologetics. We hear this a lot when it's give a defense for the faith of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So in your hearts, revere him as Lord. In other words, let me just stop real quick. Don't ever apologize for that, amen? Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You know what this means? I'm going to say what this means for me. It means that, Kyle, you better open your mouth and always point people to the truth. Don't you, get, don't you play coy. Don't you be a coward. Don't you wiggle out of it. Be honest. Be straightforward. Tell the truth and mind your heart and mind your motive every time you open your mouth. That's what that's saying. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Out of these three, my favorite one. 
and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Guess what that means? That means you have to have some understanding of truth. We love the truth, able to teach truth. It says patiently enduring evil, correcting, ha-ha. That means you don't just roll, oh, whatever you want to believe, brother. No, you correct, teach, correct his opponents with gentleness. There it is. There's a way in which to do this. God may perhaps grant them repentance. This is the goal, isn't it? You teach that maybe they too will repent and know Christ. And it says there, with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. We want them to know the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 2, 4-5. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So what I'm, what I'm hoping you're taking notes right now and you're saying, Pastor Kyle says truth's important. Why does truth and grace have to be separated from each other? A proper hermeneutic, a proper understanding of grace and mercy and the gospel is truth in love that's the proper understanding subtract one or the other and you've got a bunch of pride-filled arrogant people who beat in their chests and yelling at people and telling them why they're going to hell apart from Jesus Christ as if somehow they earned it as if they get some glee from it or you have the whimsy pamsy kind of like well it's all about loving each other and, but what's the truth of I don't know we just it's like nailing jello to a wall neither one of these honor God and like it is said, the rider can find himself falling off both sides of that saddle. Church, please don't fall off either one of those saddles, that sides of that saddle. Do not be distracted. Our hope is not in politics. Listen to me. Our hope is not in politics. It is not in our anger or rage. It is not in any human power on the face of the planet. Much of our problems have stemmed from a people who thought we could accomplish something of lasting worth politically rather than possibly biblically. This is where I said, please listen to the end. I already had one guy get up and leave, and I'm hoping that it wasn't because of what I was preaching. I hope that he's got lunch with someone, very important. Something of lasting worth politically rather than biblically. Oftentimes in American Christianity, I believe, listen to me, I feel as if I, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but oftentimes when I stand in places like this and prophesy like this, which means declaration, not telling the future, okay, I get in a lot of trouble. But what if we have gotten so far removed from first century, century Christianity that somehow or another we've let things creep in to define our Christianity that God never died on the cross for you to allow to, to define your Christianity? I'm proud. I am proud to be an American. I am proud of this flag. I have a theological, excuse me, I do that too. I have a political persuasion. I do. Listen to me. I believe as Christians that your politics should always, excuse me, your Christianity should always paint your politic. But listen to me now. Your politics should never paint your Christianity. Allow your love of God and who he is and his glory to affect the way you vote. Amen, do it, do it, do it. Every day of the week, do it. 
But I am not going to hitch my, 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 my cart. I will not uh, throw up my uh, lasso around the pony of politics over that of God, His glory, and His word in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs to see us. And when it comes usually to political seasons in American Christianity, how often do I see people passionate about getting their political figure uh, voted in because he's going to be the savior of America? And how many of us are spending the same amount of passion, the same amount of time preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with lost people, having him over for dinner, loving them with the truth of God's word, in God's word, and in prayer? You go on social media, what do you see? You see Christians going crazy all the time. And they're declaring to the world, we, we're so frazzled, we got to get this thing done. The world's going to fall apart. America's going to, it's, guys, listen, he wins. He wins. The battle has already been fought and it's going to win. Now, you're going to say to me, Kyle's telling us that politics is ridiculous. No, I'm not. Get involved, brothers and sisters. Bring change. Vote. Do your pickets. Do whatever you do. Get, get involved in politic. But remember this. Your Christianity affects your politic. Your politic does not come into this room and affect our Christianity. I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? Didn't he say something about that? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. This morning, I have this flag up here for a reason. It's a prop. All right? I love this flag. Literally, I, I, I swore an oath to this flag, but I'm going to tell you something about this flag. It stands for a lot, and I love this flag. I, I, I love NFL football. Y'all know that, right? I, I love the Packers. There was a year, a couple years ago, I didn't watch a single game. That was my personal decision. Why? Because I was sick at seeing a nation of people not stand for the flag. I get painted so much by, by this reality, and I don't think that people are listening to me. I've made decisions and I make things in my own life because I don't like the way things are. I love this flag. And you, you know what? This flag can literally uh, fly for me. But this flag does not fly. I do not hold this flag and wave it like this over the flag and the banner of Christ over me. This is not my home, brothers and sisters. I am born an American, and I'm thankful to be here, and I'll fight for that reality. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. I was saved from this earth, and my home is an abiding one with Jesus Christ in heaven. The flag in which I fly is Christ, and he is it. I consider all of this rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apostle Paul said, please don't hear what I didn't say. Kyle said America stinks. <laughs> Pastor Kyle's a Nazi. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, church, please. All I'm saying is please put all of these things in proper ordered affections. They're ordered affections. And the banner over me, which is Christ, will weigh farther and longer and with more joy than the flag that stands before me. This is a message of hope for people like Charles, who's born in South Africa. Charles, you're going to Christian, you know, I know you're American now and you love being American, but brother, I tell you right now, there's a place for you if you're from South Africa, all right, even if you don't wave the flag. You know, only Christian, only American Christians go to heaven. I've, I've served on the mission field in places like in Africa and, 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 and in places like Indonesia. 
Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something right now. None of them fly this flag. And some of them can teach you a thing or two about Christianity. Ordered affections. Time and place. Our hope and our delight are found only in the gospel and the truth of God's word. Both boldly and compassionately given with a sense of truthfulness in life. This is our new song. Now hear what I'm not saying. All I'm trying to say is, you Christian men, the time is dark. What the world, listen, can this give and bring about some light in our dark world? Yes. I think the political nature of how America is structured is far more giving and loving and kind and more generous to the nod of Christianity than any other government on the face of the planet. I think I'm okay in saying that. So I love this. But brothers and sisters, listen. Are you more committed to memes or mission? Ultimately, this is not going to bring about the change of the hearts of people. What will bring about the hearts and the change of people is the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of, excuse me, in the face of the gospel. What do people see you more passionate about, more riled up about? What gets you frustrated? What gets you to move? What makes your needle jump? Is it a lost and dying world that are going to hell in the name of Christ? Or excuse me, excuse me, without Christ? Is it the cause of the gospel for lost and dying men and women? Or is it some of these peripherals? Christianity should affect your politics, but politics should never affect your Christianity. Let me continue, and you can throw tomatoes at me or throw watermelons. That's what I'd rather have. At me in a minute. Number two, God's discipline is the fuel of our praise. The gospel is the fuel of our praise. God's discipline is the fuel of our praise. Look with me in verse six. As for me, I said in my prosperity... I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. Look with me again. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never. I need you to look at my face because this is a part of how you're supposed to interpret this text. In the tense, this is what it's saying. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall not be moved. How many of you have heard others say, it is easy to praise God when everything is going well in life. Well, this is not the case for David in Psalm 30. And frankly, it has not been the case for me in my own Christian walk. This is Pastor Kyle speaking to you. I have found that some of the greatest and most difficult times for me to worship and honor the Lord has been in the day of goodness. The easiest times for me to be on my face before him in dependency with my heart laid bare is when I feel as if though I have nothing else to grab for but Jesus. David says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall not be moved. And how stupid is that? When things were going well, can't be moved. Seven, but your favor, you, O oh God. O oh Lord, you made my mountains stand strong. Oh, lest we forget that in the day of our prosperity, it is not us. It is not the decisions that we have made, but ultimately it will be by the glory and the goodness of God who has given it. David has said, I forgot 
David, David, uh, David's prosperity and favor from God developed a haughty spirit. David had entered into a time of forgetfulness, comfort, and ease and had been such a blinding force that he declared foolishly, I shall never be moved. Don't put the Lord to the test. In recent days and in recent decades, I have grown increasingly, this is me speaking, convinced that this has been one of the great failures of the church in general today in America. How has the American church responded to decades of ease, comfort, and prosperity? How have we responded in the decades before, the last 20 or 30 years specifically, maybe a little longer, we have said we shall never be moved. When people still had respect for pastors and the church, where people still had some level of respect for God's word even if they didn't believe it, where there was decency in our culture, where, where politically speaking, a lot of the things that we stand for we saw in the politic of things. In that state of mind, the church, in my opinion, had grown lazy and apathetic. As if no hardship shall ever befall us, we have the majority opinion. Everything reflects our views. It's all good. Bounce house it, snow cone it, and give them a hot dog. We squandered years for entertainment. We squandered years of mission for ease and comfort. Oh, it's because no one's patriotic anymore. No, it's because no one reads the Bible anymore. It's because we stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance in the school system. No, it's because we took prayer out of the school system. We kicked the football. We punted. We said, it's all good, as if nothing could ever befall us. The Bible is all about being vigilant, church. And I believe in America, the church has not been very vigilant. She's been lazy. I'm speaking generalities. And in our arrogance, while we slept and sat idle by enjoying the season of prosperity, the message and the witness of the church had grown terribly weak. It had grown shallow. It had grown terribly man-centered in its approaches. It is difficult to love God and serve Him in the prosperity. It is, it is difficult. And there's not a richer nation on the face of the planet who has it better with ease and comfort than this one. Why? Because Christ was not remembered as the source. I wonder if sometimes the judgment that may come, may not. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm declaring things. I'm not saying things are going to happen. But sometimes I wonder if a lot of what's going on as a nation, we're being punished, not so much because of what goes on out there, because what we've allowed to transpire in here. Have you read the first couple books of Revelation? Wake up. Wake up. Return to your first love. Wake up before that which was established dies out. The warnings of the book of Revelation, the first books for the, for the church, is for us not to allow that ember to burn out. Return to our first love. This sin of David has become the great sin of the modern day American church, I believe. Many have forgotten this, that by your favor, by your favor, O Lord, you have made the mountain stand strong. By your favor. Church, God often disciplines those he loves. Did you know this? 
Don't take my word for it. Look with me in Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. And it says there, For they disciplined us for a short time, and our parents, as seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We've been telling everybody there is no need for pain or unpleasantness in Christianity. Come, just say this thing, mark it in your Bible, it's all good. Not so much here. Discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Christian, when have you cried out to God the most? When has your relationship been brought near to God once again, as if you were right there with him? Has it not been in our hours of greatest need? When we are the weakest and we find ourselves in complete dependence on God, this is the hour that we find ourselves in. I believe that, it's not an American thing, this is a world culture thing. It is growing darker by the day. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, this is the Apostle Paul. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, meaning the truth, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me, listen to this, from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The church in America needs to weep. It needs to weep. There are moments where I feel like tomorrow, what is most appropriate is for us to celebrate. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to blow stuff up. I'm going to eat. I, I, I want to, I'm going to wave some flags even. I might even get a tattoo. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to get a tattoo. I'm not going to get a tattoo. It's appropriate. But I believe that it is just appropriate for the nation to weep. Weep. However, our weeping and mourning shall only last till morning. It's only time, it's only a moment. Because the future is coming. Our future hope is coming. It's already established, it's already waiting for us. We're just trying to pass on through. We're either passing on through as pilgrims in this land... Just pass it on through, and then we'll get there, or else it'll come to us first. He'll take us out of this world. Lord Jesus, come quickly. But these dark days can actually be a blessing for the church in America. They can be a blessing. They remind us that we need to get on our faces before God, on our knees, need to get chapped a little bit. Our fingertips need to get a little bit bloodied from the many pages that we've been reading from his word. Let's return to our first love and the things that once made this nation so great, by the way, in the first place, that made that flag so wonderful, by the way, is because of our foundation that we had upon the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We swam across the ocean so that we could say the very thing I just said. Why is that controversial? Men have died and bled, not for this flag, and yes, they did for this flag, but ultimately so that I could sit here in this pulpit and say what I just said. Why is that so controversial? And let us celebrate those men who, and women who've done that. Conclusion. Verse 8 through 12. Let me read this really quickly in my conclusion. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. 
what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Look with me in verse 11 through 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Amen, amen, amen. You have loosed my sackcloth and you've clothed me with gladness that my glory, my glory may sing your praise and be not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What I want to say is there is a moment that is practical and it is appropriate for we to weep. Weep. It's good and appropriate, but listen to me, brothers and sisters. If the world sees us only in this room weeping, what are we pointing them to the hope of? Brothers and sisters, we weep for a time, but joy comes in the morning, amen? We have every reason to celebrate and to have joy in the fact that we are redeemed. He says that we will turn dancing and gladness and praise will be the, be the aspect of his people. But this is what I want you to understand. I believe that when those moments happen when we are most feel hopeless and that we most feel at our weakest point, when God brings us to those places, and we're praying and we're seeking out for him and we're, we're crying out to God because we truly believe and we want to be about a mission over, uh, 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 of comfort and all the things that have plagued the American church. Brothers and sisters, I think that in those moments, the relationship between the church and its God, her God, will be so strong that what comes out of that is that the world will say, when bad things happen, why do good things flow out of all those people? Listen to me. Be dismayed. Be utterly heartbroken. Be worrisome at points. And I don't mean, I guess worry is not even the great word. Mourn. But brothers and sisters, we are Christian men and women. At the end of the day, let that mourning and weeping remind us of our need of Jesus and let the world see us praise him in the midst of all the difficulty because it gives a great homage and glory to a God that is worthy of all our worship and praise even in the bad days. Amen? For when I am weak, he is what? Strong. I want the church in America to see a church that is strong, that has wept, that has cried, that has been kind and gentle and patient, that will not relent and will not apologize for the truth of God's word, that will even take on persecution, and at the end of the day say, let's see what falls out of those people. Let's see, let's poke them, let's poke them. Watch what comes out, watch what comes out. They're still praising him in prison. They're still like Apostle Paul has a song to sing, even in the heartbreak of this world around us. That is the issue for each of us today. Will we go about sorrowful over recent events, downcast, dejected, and dismayed, moping and weeping over a bygone error? Will we respond in arrogant, seething anger of a grip over the culture which seems to slip daily? No. While there is a place for righteous anger and mourning, absolutely, Allow the world to see us dance and sing in celebration. Why? Because our joy comes in the morning. The dark night of our soul will be soon gone. We will wake. And our homeland, our flag and our banner, it wins. And our banner is not this flag. It's the banner is Christ. We win because he has won. Amen? Remember what I told you. Well, I tell you what, it's the 4th of July. That was the most unpatriotic message I've ever in my life heard. No. 
Charles got here as quick as he could, but we're Americans, brother, so we were born here, right? But you got here as quick as you can, right? So there's hope for you. You can actually get to heaven maybe, right? What was I <laughs> Brothers, listen. Celebrate like crazy. Blow stuff up. Just make sure that in your Christianity that you're hitching your, uh, your, your rope to the right cart. I'm not saying this is not the right cart. I'm just saying there's a better cart beyond that right cart. It says that when Jesus, when Jesus Christ came into this world, it said that he emptied himself, stepped down from his high place of honor. He's the king of the universe. He's God. And he came down, and it said he did not consider uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. The grasp means to he let go. And he took the form of a, of a baby in a manger, sinful man, the flesh. He went through everything that we, he, he set aside his privilege as king to be your servant. I'm not saying we set aside privilege, but I did not, I did not consider a thing to be grasped worth anything compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's all I'm saying. If you heard anything else, because you've been watching Fox News too much or CNN, whichever side you sit on, and that's okay. I watch both of them, actually. I wonder if our time and our word has been disproportionate with the time that we spent in front of a TV worrying. The answers that I need today isn't found on Fox News or CNN. The answers that I have today is found in this word.